Chronicles of Bruce Street Mafia. This is a Red Dog Fred production. The control room uh, to the back. So I am obviously working. They're working on the studio. We're going to get some signage and stuff like this. So I'm just glad that you guys uh, get to be a part of this process um, with us and get to see this thing grow uh, from the very beginning. It's kind of exciting. So this is podcast number eight, I believe, something like that. I might be wrong on the numbers. but um, So we're still brand new. We're still uh, still are going to have guests on. Uh, we have plans. If you guys are wanting to, I need, I need to hear some things in the comments. I need some Facebook. I need you guys to talk to me. I'd like to do maybe a Facebook Live or something like that where I'm communicating with my audience. Um, where in real time, you guys are maybe asking me questions. Maybe we have a topic. Maybe it's geopolitics. Maybe it's philosophy. Maybe it's religion. And we pick a, a, a topic or something like that. And then live, you know, maybe I have a computer in front of me or something. And we're all on Facebook together. And then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm answering questions, uh, maybe debating. Maybe you bring challenges, uh, maybe disagreements, uh, anything like that. I just think it would be fun. It would be good content just to kind of let the Internet go loose. Um, you guys can accuse me of being a, a Russian spy or uh, accuse me of being like uh, some sort of ancient deity, maybe. Uh, I don't know. But I'm sure the accusations would be fun and we could have a really good time with it. But um, <clears throat> Today, today's topic, I wanted to kind of change gears. I, uh, after doing some of the podcasts, I've talked to some of you in person. I've talked to some of you online. Um, one of the podcasts in particular, when I made a, um, I made a, Comparison between Christian nationalism and far left identitarianism, I had someone call me out on I was misrepresenting some things. So I, I kind of want to clear that up real quick because I was actually wrong. I believe in that podcast I spoke and I said that uh, David Koresh was part of the LDS and I believe he was actually a part of the seventh or he was a branch off of the Seventh Day Adventist. Um. And, and I did kind of pick on uh, Pentecostalism, and I did kind of pick on um, the Latter-day Saints, and these were just kind of easy targets, and this person kind of, like, let me know that. Um, and they also, I had someone kind of ask me about why I'm so brash and uh, arrogant almost, and I can recognize my own faults here, but arrogant almost about uh, my belief in God. And so today, what today's podcast is going to be about is I want to explain to you guys my defense argument for the existence of God. And, and, and I know that sounds really, really heavy. Um, this isn't a conversation 
that I would have or that maybe you could adopt and have with someone else to try to convince them that God exists. This is not going to convince anyone that God exists, okay? Um, I don't believe that that's the point of the defense, okay? So this is a defense as to why I believe in God. So to make that clear, um, the method that I'm about to show you is a defense. I've had personal experiences that are not a good defense because the person that is maybe questioning my belief in God has not had my personal experiences, obviously. And so for me to sit here and give a testimonial to somebody as convincing as it may be is not a good defense. Um, in the previous podcast, I'll talk about foundations and things like that. So that's really what this is going to be about. So for thousands of years, you know, just to do a quick study for thousands of years in the East and in the West uh, of philosophy, we have been trying to prove the existence of God. All right. Um, several uh, religions have tried to do this through various means. Um, so, I've stated previously that I'm a, a Christian. I'm not going to go into detail as to what that means or anything like that um, and put that in any kind of box right now because that's not what this is about. But I am primarily going to be explaining the defense of the existence of a Christian God and, and why I the, – the arguments as to why I believe this. Okay. So <clears> – <throat> To get started, let's be clear that we live in a very materialist world, meaning we live in a world that only believes in uh, the material existence. We live in a world that only believes that there is just uh, physical things, that there's just atoms, that there's just the the, the totality of the universe is just atoms and photons and electrons and physical matter, okay? So... Um, I have kind of pointed out in the past how this is an outright contradiction, um, that we can reduce this position to absurdity very, very quickly. And one way in which we can reduce this position to absurdity very, very quickly is the fact that we're making a universal claim about the universe. And the universal claim that the materialist is making, if you can follow me, if you can keep up with this, and I know you can because I know you're smart because I'm not that smart and I'm able to even explain it to you. But so the universal claim the materialist is making here is that um, the universe exists and it's only made out of matter. Okay, but what they are really saying is I am certain of all of the universe that it exists and it's only made of matter. Well, if you're only made of matter, the only thing you can be certain of is your own experiential knowledge. And you have not experienced the entire universe. So for you to make a claim that the entire universe is only physical matter is a non-physical claim. In other words, it's a claim that you made outside of the physical universe because you are making a claim, a universal claim, a, a universal truth. And that, that idea of a universal truth is the, um, the hinge 
for the argumentation for the existence of God, okay? So we can reduce materialism very quickly into absurdity because we are saying, I am certain, 100% certain, that the only thing that exists is the physical world. And that claim is not a physical claim. That is a metaphysical claim that I'm making. So that's reductio ad absurdum. So we can just take all of current the current zeitgeist of culture that, you know, it's just materialism. We can just real quickly throw that out the door. So how do we know it is? Oh, how could then we make that jump to say that there is a God? So we are going to talk about... To get to that point, we need to understand a very big philosophical word, but it's pretty easy to understand, and it's called ontology. Ontology is the study of states of being, okay? So one state of being is me, Jonathan Lodge. I am a physical person, okay? This microphone stand that and this microphone that I'm speaking into is a physical thing. That's the state of being, right, of this microphone. Now, there is a deeper state of being to this microphone that exists outside of the physical microphone itself, and that is the conceptual understanding of what a microphone is, okay? So Plato, thousands and thousands of years ago, I believe it was Plato, um, or was it Aristotle? No, I believe it was Plato. Plato identifies this issue very, very quickly. So, you know, 4,000 years ago, he or however long it was, he identifies this issue very, very quickly in saying, we have a problem. We have a particular thing, which is this microphone, and then it contains somehow or another within this microphone a universal concept and that universal concept is the concept of microphone itself. So we have a particular, which is one thing, one physical thing, and then we have the many, the universal understanding of microphone. So in philosophy, we call this a problem, and we call this problem the problem of the one, the one microphone that I'm talking into, and the many, the universal idea of what a microphone is, okay? So how do we reconcile those two things? How is it that I have in my brain an idea, a universal conception of microphone, and in your brain you have an idea of a universal conception of microphone, and somehow or another those two things are the same thing? And it's not as if my brain is transferring you know, electrons to your brain and somehow or another we're sharing physical matter right? And it's not how, it's, it's not somehow that you've experienced particular microphones throughout your life, and I've per experienced particular microphones throughout my life, and we've somehow made a universal understanding of microphones, because again, universal is the claim that it is everything, it is all microphones. So somehow or another, we are able as human beings to look at particular objects, and we are able to then understand universal truth claims about those particular objects. So, the pushback here, 
because there's always pushback. And I, and I want to be fair. I want to be fair in the opposition. The opposition is going to say, well, that's not entirely true. These universal understandings that each individual has in their head, they're actually subjective to that individual. So my idea of microphone is actually, it's not the same. It's not universal. It's actually different than your idea of microphone, but they're similar enough that we can understand that this is a particular microphone. We can share that concept, right? So I know that's pretty hard to understand and I'm not trying to use word salad here. I'm trying to be very specific in the words that I'm using because the idea is, and we've talked about this in the past, is it's relativity. So it is, it's, it's subjective. So the idea that um, the answer to the one and the many is that it's the many is actually relative to the individual viewer. Again, we can apply that big Latin word we learned a couple podcasts ago. Um, it's reductio ad absurdum. We can take this position and we can reduce it to absurdity. Because again, they're saying, they're making universal claim, and the universal claim is this. Um, everyone has a subjective understanding of the world around them, and they share no universal truths. Okay. That's making a universal claim about everyone that you as a subjective person could not know. Do you follow me? So to, so, so, so to say, so to say that there is a, a universal claim that we are all subjective is reducing your position of we are all subjective down to absurdity because you initially had to make a universal claim, which is not a subjective claim. So again, we we're stuck with this problem of the one and the many, okay? And my answer to this problem is actually my proof for God. And it's not my proof for God, it's the Christian proof for God. So God, right? is the only way that we can justify that these universals exist. In other words, there are universal concepts that we as human beings are the only things that can access. And you're going to say, well, wait a second. You know, animals can use tools, Coco the monkey with language, all this nonsense that has nothing to do with abstractions or universals. If you think those things are universals or abstractions and outside of physicality, you're missing the mark. Okay, I'm talking about the ability to use things that are outside of physical existence, thought processes, and things that we have a general understanding that don't exist, physics, things like that. Um, mathematics, all of these things, these abstractions that, it, that exist, that we somehow utilize, we bring into the physical world, and we actually use those things to manipulate the physical world. Okay, well, you can say, well, ants, they build ant hills, and they're manipulating the physical world, and, and, and birds build nests, and things like that. Correct. Yes, that is correct. There are animals and things that can manipulate the physical world. But the claim that I am making is that we are bringing in universal abstract truths like mathematics, like art, like um, physics, um, anything that is beyond our experiential knowledge, okay? 
and we use it daily. That's my other tenet to this claim. That's the other leg to this claim is that everyone uses these things on a daily basis. So we all, in fact, language, the words that I'm using, these are sounds that rep, it's a symbol. The sound that I'm making is a symbol that represents a universal concept. So to recap my argument, the first part is I'm making a claim. Okay. So if you want to come at this to prove that God does not exist, maybe in a future Facebook dialogue, I'm going to make this very easy on you. Number one, my claim is this universals exist and they exist by their very nature by the very nature of it being universal outside of physicality because physical things are not universal. They degrade, they die, they're physical. They're a part of this world. Everything that is in the universe is not a universal thing. It is a particular thing. I will die dust to dust, yada, yada, yada. Sometimes this microphone won't exist. All these other things, right? But these ideas like the idea of the number three exists somewhere beyond the universe. So if no human being was here to observe three objects, would the concept of the number three exist? I'm going to take the positive and say, yes, of course, but I have justification as to where it exists. If you're a materialist atheist, you have no justification as to where that number three exists. Yet you use it in a universal way and you use it in an abstract way. So again, my first claim is universals exist. We all access them. We're the only things that can access them. And every single human being accesses them. And for you to even make an argument against this, you are accessing them by using words, which are symbols of universal concepts. Okay. So understand the argument. This is a very, very difficult argument to understand, but understand the argument that there are things beyond physicality, math, you know, we've listed all these things over and over and over again that do not exist anywhere on this physical planet. You cannot, we can search the entire world and we cannot find the concept of the number three. The number three does not exist anywhere in the universe. All right. We can see representations. We can see particular instances. Remember particular, the one and the many, right? We can see the many, we can see these many instances of that one particular universal truth, right? So I can get three things. I'm trying to feel, I don't, I don't think I have three things in my pocket right now, but we could have three things and we can see a representation of the number three. And if I destroyed those three things, does that somehow destroy the universal concept of the number three? No. If no human beings were here to exist, to observe, does it take observation? Is somehow, is somehow like the number three, this universal concept, like neurons and photons or whatever exist in our brains? And it's somehow existing, coexisting in each one of our individual brain. No, I mean, that doesn't make sense. If we follow these things to their conclusions, we're going to reduce them down to absurdity. So obviously we need something beyond physicality. Okay. That's, that's the second claim. So number two, we have to have a place for these things to exist. 
Where do these universal concepts exist? Where? If they don't exist in my brain or in your brain, if they're not relative to the culture, if they're not relative to the language that we speak, if they're not a personal experiential knowledge that we each undergo, where do they exist? If the entire world and universe were to be sucked into a giant black hole and, and blink out of existence, the number three, the concept of the number three still exists because it's not a physical thing. And it's not dependent on physicality. So where does it exist? So Plato, his answer is, oh, there's, there's like a realm. There's like a realm where like the perfect idea of chair, right? Like the one perfect, complete concept of chair exists. And all of the many particular instances of chair are just these like bastardized representations of this concept. Okay. So that, you know is an interesting way to look at that, but that causes all sorts of other problems because then eventually we are going to need to get down. We're going to need to narrow down this thing and how to understand, um, how these things came into existence and how they interact in the physical world. And there is no good mechanism for how, universal concepts interact in the physical world without first identifying where they exist and then identifying how it is that they can transcend. And I'm using that word very particularly because if you want to look this up and do more research on your own, the argument that I'm using is a form of the transcendental argument. This was made famous by Immanuel Kant. Let me make it clear, I'm not Kantian, and I'm not going to defend Kant's position on the transcendental argument. He was not the first to come up with it. St. Basil and others before him, Augustine hinted at these things, came up with these argumentations for why God should exist, Anselm, Aquinas. They're all developed throughout Western and Eastern theology. So, But anyways, if you, if you want to do more research, so how, how we're going to get back to that word transcend, how do does these universal concepts transcend to our particular physical world? How is it we need some sort of mechanism? So, so number one, we need to understand where do they exist? So they exist beyond physicality. They, they exist beyond the universe, right? They exist beyond everything that we're beyond our body, beyond our mind or whatever you want to call it. Where do they exist? And I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say that, well, we need a, Thing that is unchanging because these concepts are unchanging. They're universal by nature. They're the same then. They're the same now. They're the same as they will be. So my answer to that would be something that is beyond our conception. They exist in, I want to I use the word apophatic. They exist in a realm that I can only speak about apophatically, meaning I can only speak about as to what it's not. Okay. So it's not physical. It's not, um, uh, a particular, right? So what am I describing? I'm describing a very ancient understanding of the essence of God. So, my second tenet is 
where do these things exist? And I'm going to answer again in the positive, and I'm going to say the only place that these universals can exist, these universals, the fact that they do exist, points to the existence of a thing that is beyond our conception, beyond our understanding, beyond all reason, the essence of God, the unapproachable outside of the universe. That's where these things exist. Now, thirdly, how is it then do we as human beings, particular physical things, understand universal culture or universal uh, um, abstract understandings? How is it? And we use them every day. And we use them constantly, and we all use them, right? How is it that we do that? What is the bridge? What is the mechanism for which we can access the unknowable God, light, what he, he, he calls himself all, all kinds of things. Whatever you want to call him, I don't care. It's not about that right now. It's not about, in fact, it is the not having a label on this thing. I am who I am. What he describes himself apophatically. He describes himself as this thing that is beyond understanding, right? So how is it that we take these universal truths and we apply them in a particular way? What is the bridge? Well, I'm going to, again, this is my fourth tenet. I'm going to make the claim that the only way that we can do that is through the unapproachable God becoming approachable. In Christianity, we call this the incarnation, when God became man. That is the bridge. And it's a reflection of us, who we are as humans. So I have built in this conversation, and guys, this is the Cliff Notes converse. This is a lengthy, we could have this conversation for 10 hours. I'm trying to fit it into an hour, you know. Um, but, but the Cliff Notes are this. We're made in his image. And in this short period of time, we're going to revisit that, that difficult philosophical word, which is ontology, which, remember, is the study of, of realms, of beings, of existence, Right. So I've laid out three ontological realms. I've laid out me, the personal, Jonathan Lodge, a, you know, thing, physical thing, the universal, the concept of the number three, abstractions, physics, all of these things, and then the bridge. Jonathan Lodge, the particular me, I'm able to somehow access this universal realm. Three ontologies. And I'm going to say we're made in the image of this unknowable, unapproachable thing, and he makes it clear that we're made in his image. What is that a reflection of? The physical, the unapproachable, and the bridge. Right? The image of God. Right? So when when I think of how it is that our brains can access 
something that is beyond the physical, what are you actually accessing? What is beyond the physical? Well, it's God. And God, in a very personal manner, reveals these truths to every single person. That's humanity. That's what makes us human. And then it's up to us as to what we're going to do, whether or not we're going to build nukes or nuclear uh, power, whether we're going to build, you know, schools or whether we're going to build bombs. And we're applying these very complex universal truths and combining them like puzzles to build and manipulate the world around us. We're the only things that can do it. The proof is in the pudding, right? So this is my basic argumentation for the existence of God is that, again, let's, let's revisit these things real quickly. We'll go through the bullet points. We, there is something beyond the physical universe. We are the only things that can access this. We access them every single day constantly and there is they are eternal they're universal they're unchanging what how what is the justification for these things so when we have a conversation and maybe you watch this podcast and you want to have a conversation because you're an atheist or because you're a buddhist or because you're whatever understand my arguments okay I'm, I'm going to ask you to justify how it is that you have morality. I'm going to ask you to justify how it is that you have abstract truth, how it is that you have universal understandings. You cannot make the claim, I do not need to justify them, and simultaneously make the claim that they do not exist. Because again... By doing both of those things, you're actually affirming that they exist because you're using universal truths and you're using um, these same philosophical standards that you're denying. Okay? So be clear. I'm going to call you out very quickly if that's going to be your approach. We need something deeper. You need to be able to justify how these things exist. And it's not cultural relativity. It's not that, oh, well, a bunch of people got together and they, you know, they use three particular things and so they had this universal idea of three that exist in their minds and exist in their culture no again that's we're going to reduce that down pretty quickly to absurdity because that's just that's we've explained this over and over and over that that doesn't work so um you need so the argument again is you need to be able to justify my justification again this wasn't a, me trying to convince someone to believe in god or anything like that but this is my defense. My justification for why I believe in God is because these things exist, and I need to be able to justify why these things exist. We, and in fact, the challenge is everyone needs to be able to justify why these things exist. And when we talk about politics and we talk about all these other things on the podcast, you constantly hear me harping in the same linguistic manner. I keep saying you have to be able to justify, you have to be able to justify because justification is important for a foundation of truth, for a foundation of how it is that your mind works, right? And we can agree that we need to think, we need to think beyond, we need to think beyond 
um, these boxes that we continually want to put ourselves in and, 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 and not say, oh, well, I'm a Christian, so I have it all figured out because God has all the truth. That's just as ridiculous as the atheist saying, well, just wait until science you know, um, uh, uncovers the next, you know, thing that will finally validate and pull all of this together that will somehow reconcile, uh, the one and the many. I'm going to tell you this ancient problem that was pointed out by Plato and probably earlier and probably earlier and just, it wasn't even written down, but this ancient problem of the one and the many, I'm going to essentially reword it or word it exactly how he worded it and ask you, you can't deny that it exists. It does exist because you're using words to argue that it doesn't. Okay. And I'm going to say those, those words themselves are universals. So you need to figure out a way how these things exist. Again, they exist beyond our minds. It's not the number three is not, um, somehow a, a, a thought pattern in my mind and a thought pattern in your mind. And somehow they're connected together in our mind. There's no physical connection there, right? So something else is at work here. Again, I'm going to say that the only possible explanation that all other religions, all other worldviews, all other ways in which to answer this question are going to be wrong. I'm going to say the only way in which this could be right is through one, an unapproachable eternal thing to which all of these universals exist. Two, there is some sort of bridge between that unapproachable universal thing. Hmm like an incarnation, like God becoming man and still being fully God. And three, that within our hearts, in our minds, we are able to access these things and bring them into the physical world. Almost as if, oh, I don't know, a spirit, a soul. So we, again, made in the image, are one thing, that can access these three realms of ontology. Again, there's this one unapproachable thing, God, that is broken down into not parts, but personhood of three ontologies. And that personhood, the energies of that personhood are represented in these universal truths. I know this is deep. I know this is difficult, but I keep getting asked, people keep coming up to me and asking me, it seems, they seem, um, they, 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 I had one person tell me that I came off as arrogant. And so that's why I'm not so animated. That's why I'm so subdued right now. That's why I'm just trying to relax and, and chill out and be as just as calm as I can be because, um, it is personal for me. It is meaningful for me. And I just want to give a good, accurate cliff note version of the transcendental argument that it is the defense that I'm going to use to defend why I believe in God. It's not the reasons I believe in God, but it's going to be the, the defense that I use. Okay. Again, the reasons I believe in God is because I've my own personal subjective experiential knowledge, right? But this is going to be that beyond my own personal experiential testimonial knowledge. And I'm going to say that 
I'm actually going to take the offense and say that atheists bring it. You, you, you've got to be able to justify how these things exist. So I'm not just defending that God exists. I'm not just defending that the Christian God is the only God. I'm saying that this is my uh, positive. This is my actual, like, I'm pushing it towards you. Here's how I justify it. Here's how I justify universal truths. Here's how I justify morality, uh, that it exists, that it's real. If we're all physical things, morality doesn't exist. There is no right, there is no wrong. And you can't say, oh, well, uh, if it feels good, it's right now. Je Jeffrey, it felt good for Jeffrey Dahmer to eat people. I mean, like, like this is ridiculous. We, we're not utilitarians. So obviously morality exists. Where? How? It's not based off of our culture. Sorry, that doesn't flow. That doesn't, that doesn't work either because cultures have disintegrated and, and ceased to exist and we don't even know about them. And yet we still know that there are universal ways in which human beings can interact. And if you're going to say, oh, well, they just make sense, you're just further arguing my point. Okay, they just make sense. You're accessing a universal truth system to say, oh, it makes sense. What is sense? Where is that physically? You know, and, and I've talked about this before about like the, the uh, uh, science. Science cannot exist without accessing the metaphysical. I mean, the, the, a perfect example of this is the, is the scientific method, right? I believe in the scientific method. I read two or three scientific white papers a week. It's something I do to keep my mind sharp. Scientific method is the only way in which we can uncover truth. But guess what? Uh, truth about the physical world, rather. But guess what? The scientific method doesn't prove itself. I can't use the scientific method to prove the scientific method. I need to access these universal truths, these abstractions, these things that have values that are beyond the physical in order for me to use even the scientific method. So again, if your approach is going to be that these things don't exist, sorry, bud, we're going to reduce that down. I'm going to sweep your legs out very quickly. And I'm going to say, you should have paid attention because we're, we're going to reduce this to absurdity. If you're going to say that these things exist and they exist culturally, or they only exist in each individual mind, again, I'm not going to be rude uh, or anything like that, but I'm going to be very quick. I'm going to chop your legs down. We're going to be very quick to cut that argument in half. So what it is that you need to do, if you disagree with what I'm saying, is you need to come up with a way to justify how it is that we have these things. Again, I have a way to justify these things. And in fact, the way in which I'm using, I'm going to say it's the only way. So I'm not an ecumenist. I'm not going to say that, oh, well, there's all these different ways and blah, blah, blah. No, I'm going to say there's one unapproachable, unknowable, uh, undefinable thing that is outside of conception, that is outside our realm. And the only way in which we can know that thing is for that thing to become into the physical world, to become incarnate in a historical moment in time. This, I'm not talking theoretics here, right? So where does that happen? How does that happen? I've got answers. And I'm open-minded because... These things that I'm talking about are heavy. 
and difficult to understand. The transcendental argument is one of the most difficult arguments to understand, to, first of all, make a case that something exists outside of what we can see and sense, to get our minds thinking outside of that. And then you say, oh, wait a second. Yeah, math, all these things do exist outside of the physical world. And, the, and, and this is what's crazy is if you talk to actual mathematicians and if you talk to actual physicists, they actually all say, and they say it in, in tongue in cheek, but they actually all say, hey, there's something that is pointing to, they use terms like the God particle, or there's something pointing to, uh, uh, what is, what, in math, it's like the universal uh, equation or whatever it is. So it's like, the deeper we get into these abstract, difficult to understand, you know, universals, they're, they actually are pointing to a, a creator that is beyond understanding, that is beyond conception, that is beyond words. All of these apophatic statements that I keep making where these universals exist and somehow, again, we're able to access them. So you need to be able to justify that. So if I came off in the previous uh, podcast as being arrogant about my belief systems or something like that, I apologize, guys. I hope you can really sense the humility that I'm bringing to the table right now, that it is important to me that, that you understand that it is personal. Um, I'm not bringing judgment against anyone. But if you do want to argue and you do want to debate and you do want to tell me that I'm wrong and you're ready to defeat the Christian worldview, this is where I'm going to be coming from. And this is what I'm going to require. And this is why it is required. That's what you need to understand. Why is it required for me to justify these things? And, and so if you can get that down and then come to me on those terms, then let's talk. Um, but again, thanks for watching. I had no idea uh, until uh, our producer, Kevin, sat down what we we're going to talk to. And I just I kind of said, man, I'm going to just open up my heart. And, and talk and let's see what happens and uh this is a personal thing to to be able to share to a lot of strangers and a lot of friends and, and people watching uh why it is that i believe in god and why it is that i believe in the christian god and I, I hope i did that justice and i hope it maybe you you further go and do your own research and know that it isn't just some blind oh well he just believes and it's faith and he closes his eyes and you believe in this and that. No, no, no that there is actual like um hard evidence that philosophers and religious people have been dealing with and struggling with for thousands of years. And it's not easy. And it's easy to come to other conclusions. And I am humble enough to admit that I could be wrong on these things. And that's what I'm saying. Come to me. And maybe we have a Facebook Live and we all sit down and talk and you guys maybe come and we have conversations about this. I'd be open to that and, um, you know, hear what you have to say. And we just, you know, sit down. So let me know. Let me know in the comments. Please, we're growing this thing. I need your guys' support. Uh, share, like, subscribe, all of those things. Um, that would just do us a huge, huge thing. And a big shout out to Mike Weatherford. Uh, Brew Street Mafia, thanks again, man. And Mike, if you're watching this, I appreciate it. And I had a good time on his show last night. If you didn't catch it, uh, it's Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. live on Facebook. 
But anyways, thanks for watching, guys, friends and family. We'll talk to you later.